This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. Today's episode features Will Weldon, who is a very funny comedian and also a very funny Canadian. In a first for the podcast, Will is obsessed with something he's not sure he even likes, the TV show Entourage. I know next to nothing about Entourage other than the clips I've watched on YouTube, which makes it seem like Entourage is maybe a reality show in which men compete to see who can yell swear words louder. I really wish that was a real reality show because I would be fucking great at that. As Will and I chat about uh, during the podcast, Entourage is definitely a show driven by a male perspective, so I thought I'd share a special experience I had as a man this week. I tweeted a joke that offended some people. I tweeted, opinions are like assholes. If you're a man over 50, you should probably have yours checked. Many people enjoyed this tweet, but a handful of dudes did not and tweeted at me to let me know I was being sexist, which I took as a huge compliment, because I did not know it was possible for me, a man, to be sexist toward men. But it is! Go me! It turns out one tweet might have the power to reverse centuries of gender-based injustice. I apologize that I did not correct these problems by sending this tweet earlier. But since the point of the tweet was making fun of men for being dogmatic and inflexible, I decided to engage with a few of the people calling me sexist and explain the joke and see if we can uh, find some sort of middle ground. Shockingly, all the men were intransigent about the fact they were men who were intransigent. Also, I don't think they knew what the word intransigent means, so that's probably my bad. I need to justify my liberal arts degree or I cry at night. So, uh, sorry to all the big, strong, intransigent men out there who are threatened by me, a man who sometimes tweets mean things about men and then cries about his student loans. I'm sorry you are so threatened by me and even the very concept of change. And speaking of assholes, here's a few plugs. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help make more episodes happen by supporting me on Patreon. You can find all the details at patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Shows! I'll be doing a bunch of shows soon. On January 23rd and 24th, I'll be doing two stand-up shows at the San Francisco Sketchfest, which is in San Francisco. And then I'll be back in L.A. on Monday, January 26th. I'll be hosting Pundemonium. It's a comedy slam in which audience volunteers compete to see who is the best at wordplay. Then on Friday, February 13th, a spooky day, I'll be making science jokes as a part of Quizotron, an awesome science comedy quiz show. So check all of those out details and tickets for all these shows are on my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. And now, with no more fucking ado, enjoy our fucking show about fucking entourage. Hello and welcome back to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting here with a beer and an awesome human being, Will Weldon. Uh, back to, is there like an intro? Yeah. Am I like a second segment? No. Well, I, sometimes, lately, I've been doing a little intro, and I figure if I say welcome back, it can either be from the little intro or from like you listened last week. Oh, I like that. You're giving yourself options. I'm giving myself an option. Okay, yeah. that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little laziness protector that I do. <laughs> 
So, uh, Will, can you tell the people listening a little bit about who you are? Uh, yeah, my name is Will Weldon. I am a uh, comedian. Uh, all the, like, that's a, the broadest term. It encompasses a lot of things that I could potentially be up to. And uh, I'm a Canadian, and I live here in Los Angeles now. That's literally my whole personality. Uh, now, I've, I've met you, and we did a little show uh, together, and yeah. I did not well, immediately little, say. I don't know, so dismissive. <laughs> it was short in length in yes. rehearsal. <laughs> right, that's And girth. True. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't automatically say, hey, I met this comedian who's clearly Canadian. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, people... I give myself away after probably five minutes. Okay. I will hit on some words that give it away. And before that, a lot of people assume I'm from the Midwest or something. Yeah. Yeah. I have a weird, in Canada, people think I'm American because I've always just had a weird dialect, like an odd way of speaking. Is it your dialect or is it your appearance? It's uh, my, my parents are from the East Coast and I grew up in the prairies and then I moved to sort of central Canada. Okay. And now I'm in LA. And it's just, I've picked up, also I uh, I enjoy affectations. <laughs> so I will pick things up from people in an attempt to call some sort of uniqueness out for me. Okay. So just things like I refer to women as broads, unironically. Because in college, our RA did that. And we started doing it to make fun of him. And then it stuck. So people think you're from like New York in 1942. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I, yeah. And also for that reason, they also think that cause I'm like a jerk. <laughs> I'm a hyper aggressive jerk. Oh, I don't know about that. And why, why would people think hyper aggressive jerk means Canada? Canada oh. and Midwest, they usually have the nice Oh, no, stereotype. that's why I could get, like, a New York thing. And okay, that's why right. I'd get an American thing in Canada. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do Canadians just assume anyone who might be an asshole is probably from America? I don't. In Canada, there's a... It's very British in a way where you are polite to people's faces. Okay. And then you go behind closed doors and you're like, I hate that guy. <laughs> Whereas here in America, someone will like stop their car and get out of it to be like, I hate you. Yeah, that and happened to get... me <laughs> a few days ago. <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about it. Uh, it was pretty scary. Uh, in the, I'm from the Midwest and it's the, the passive aggressive where you don't say something nice at somebody's face and then go and say something mean behind closed doors. You try to put the meanness in the subtext of the pleasant thing you're yeah. saying which is really a lot of work yeah it's like crazy uh yeah it's like i got um my favorite thing i got a, a text message from my friend that said uh we were having a conversation through text and she texted me uh, I just wrote you, then deleted the most passive-aggressive text. And I could not stop laughing at how that was the most passive-aggressive text. Like, it was just... I, I don't know where someone learns... I never picked up that kind of passive-aggressiveness. Yeah. I'm either a total coward and don't say how I'm feeling, or I just say what I'm feeling to someone's face. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Minnesota where it is kind of an art form. And it always seemed like, A, too much work, and B, like, I'm too much of a coward. Like, why would I want to sneak in something mean? Yeah. Like, that's a major choice when I yes. get up and put on my pants and say, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to be mean to someone today. Yeah. Like, I want to make sure they know if I'm going to be mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just not worth... That's like psychological warfare, putting yeah. that in someone's head. 
And then they have to sit around and go, what? wait, what did that... Did you what ask your mean? friend what the passive-aggressive comment was? I told her that I thought it was hilarious that that text message ended up being really passive-aggressive. <laughs> and she insisted she didn't mean to. And I believe her. But, uh, no, I never found out <laughs> what it was that triggered that in her. And are you just constantly wondering what her comment was about? Um... No, because I'm enough of a jerk, I don't care. <laughs> Great, that was a jerk. Yeah, if she won't just tell me, then I'm going to move on with my life. <laughs> Excellent. And speaking of moving on, uh, let's talk about uh, <laughs> your obsessed topic. That's almost as good as saying, speaking of segues, uh, <laughs> you are obsessed with something. I would love to do a stand-up set or a podcast that is nothing but awkward segues. <laughs> and now, well, since you bring that up... I think about doing uh, somehow writing a full set that is... A joke, and then only callbacks to that joke. <laughs> so like a minute-long joke, and then six minutes of callbacks. <laughs> nice. Um, so you your obsession is Entourage. Yes. The television show Entourage. Yes. But it's a, a hate obsession? It's important to clarify that I'm not obsessed with it where I think it's a great... It's so, it's so fascinating to me <laughs> for so many reasons. Yeah, it's like fascinating. Because here's the thing. The first two seasons and a lot of the third season, I genuinely think is like a very funny, good, good is as far as I'm willing to go in my direct praise it of it. sounded like it took a lot to get that word to come out of your yeah. body. But it is. It's like funny and I think it's well done. It's like satire of a certain type of Hollywood. It's almost like a satire of what people think Los Angeles is. Okay. And then it goes so insanely off the rails where all of a sudden the like people making the show went, you know what? People genuinely care about these characters and they want them to be okay and they're worried about their tribulations. They're really concerned about E and Sloan. We're going to make that a factor on the entire – this romantic relationship which from like almost the third episode it's happening, you're like – Get these two apart from each other and then never bring this up. It is literally the main through line of the entire show. Oh, wow. No okay. storyline is like comes back to more than this romance between Eric and Sloane. And it is the worst. It is the worst storyline. You hate both of them. By the, Oh, it's so bad. Okay, we'll get back to that. But yes. just for people who've never watched Entourage... How would you describe it to somebody who's never seen Entourage? What is it? I would describe it as a satire of young Hollywood that becomes a melodrama about Hollywood. Okay. It very much becomes so melodramatic. Do you think they did that because it was a real bro show? And they thought that they needed a little bit more female perspective, so making it about a relationship would somehow... But it's not even like... But the, all the relationship is still from the male point of view. I mean, men right. love melodramas. Absolutely. Like I, didn't, I didn't cry at Warrior because I was, <laughs> you know, embracing the poetic beauty of uh, mixed martial arts. It's because I have weird issues with my dad and my brother, so I cried at the end of it when <laughs> they were fighting in the ring in their underwear. But, like... It, I, I don't know why, I think that originally they were like, hey, it would be funny to do this satire and like, hmm, let's poke fun at Hollywood. And then I think because it's based off of real people and the creator of the show is, by all accounts and rumors, a real asshole and piece of shit who loves himself, they lost track of what the show was and 
it, I think they got too close to it. And okay. it became too personal. So then they started to love these characters. Like, imagine if by the end of Burn After Reading, uh-huh. <laughs> all of a sudden you were expected to care deeply and emotionally about the fate of these characters. Okay, so so they, they were sort of targets for satire, and then they became real. Yes. And it went off the rails. And the, But from the all the way from the beginning, I do think the character of Eric, who is the best friend of the newly minted... At the start of the show, there's the newly minted movie star... And his best friend is his manager. Okay. And he's the only member of the entourage who has any interest in, like, not being a mooch. Okay. So he, from the beginning, you're like, that's our way in. Because this is a guy, he doesn't know a lot about this business, but he has good instincts, supposedly. And he wants to work. He actually wants to do the work and he cares about Vince's career instead of just making as much money and mooching off of him. And they all care about him, but right. But the the other guys they have the their different two, motivations. Yeah, the other two dudes are like leeches. Okay, um, I have never watched it. I have oh, only man. gotten just I think mostly since I've been here in Los Angeles. People like to make a lot of entourage jokes. Like yes. I had a real entourage night, and oh, then they no. almost always oh, follow it off with like a jerk off motion. It's almost always a negative thing. It's oh, like yeah. a joke on like fucking that bullshit show. Yes. So, I mean, I just had a negative association. Uh, oh, so I, I read Wikipedia's entry on Entourage this morning. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> and it was really tiresome. Starting yes. with season three, actually. Yes. Uh, and I, I wanted to pull out a, a Wikipedia sentence and see if you agree with this as a summary of the oh show. God. The characters, Drama and Turtle, are featured throughout the season in various subplots that see them engaging in the type of antics typical of their characters such as procuring marijuana and engaging in furry fetishes via Craigslist on a bet. Yes. And, like, as dull and lazy as those things sound, that is how they are executed. Okay. <laughs> like, like, you might think, you might be like, yeah, but there's humor in any, pre- any premise. It's executed as lazily as possible. So, Turtle, it's like... Yeah, it's a woman wants to dress tur- wants Turtle to dress up in a furry costume to have sex. And at the end, he's like, I'm not doing it, Drama. And Drama's <laughs> like, well, fuck this. I'm going to get some pussy then. And then it ends with like him yeah. f- having sex with her while they're both in furry costumes. And you're like, yeah, that's li- like, what about, it took them seven minutes to knock this C storyline out. Tops. Yeah. Seven minutes. They were like, yeah, and then uh, they go and they they find some furry on Yeah, it's like, it seems like they have like a little chart of like, well, we want to degrade women's sexuality in some way and let's spin this and it landed on furry. So that's today's subplot. Oh, this is not a universe where women are people. Okay. (laughs) They're either not people or they're like hyper, like, or the men are hyper protective of them and we're supposed to think that that's a good quality. Yeah. So like... Ari, the agent, is unbelievably kind of possessive of his wife. And we're supposed to be like, oh, he loves her. He won't let her do a romantic story arc on a soap opera she used to be on when she was an actress because he loves her so much. And it's like... (laughs) like, Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) oh, he loves her. He locked her at the top of this stone tower and won't let her... Go outside or yeah. talk to her friends anymore, and he's always waving a gun at her while he's drunk. Like, none of those things would be good. 
I, uh, yeah, I read the Wikipedia article and it, it seemed like, okay, yeah, it's got this real bro perspective. Mm. Uh, and it, maybe it's not that bad, though. Oh, but it's it, Mark it's, Wahlberg. Yeah, it yeah. sounded like eh, there might be some stuff there. Um, and I watched a best of clip. <laughs> it was 10 minutes long, and I thought. 10 minutes? Oh, 10 my minutes God. long, I thought, this will give me a sense of what this show is. <laughs> and there are about three or four scenes with the main character, Vince. Not, Who's the worst actor of all time. In I was shocked that he, he was just there in scenes not really doing much. He was not proactive at He's all. He's awful. And then the rest of the clip, so seven minutes, mm-hmm. was just Ari yeah. yelling, fuck, in fact, and bussy. Yeah. And every once in a while doing some good physical comedy. But other than that, just a lot of funny yelling. Well, he was like the breakout star of the show, initially. Yeah. Right, Jeremy Piven? Jeremy Piven, okay. yeah. And it's it that I'm glad you brought this up because in the pilot, he's obviously like Ari Emanuel is Mark Wahlberg's agent or was at the time, and a bunch of Ari Emanuel's clients pop up, and he's the you know the, like the head of William Morris Endeavor. Okay, he Ari Gold on the show is obviously Ari Emanuel. In the like, in the show is based on Mark Wahlberg up to a point, right? Yeah, kind of. Apparently, the whole thing was. Originally, they wanted to do just like Mark Wahlberg, and then Doug Allen, the creator, went, "Yeah, but you're like this tough bro. Why don't we do like a, pr- why don't we do like a Leonardo DiCaprio? Okay. as the center, like this kind of pretty guy. Okay, uh, and Ari Emanuel is clear, like Ari Gold is clearly Ari Emanuel, and in the pilot, he's an abusive piece of shit. He's horrible. He's cursing. He's using like homophobic slurs. It doesn't seem like he gives a shit about his clients." Also, he talks about cheating on his wife all the time. In the next episode and on through the series, he retains all of those characteristics. Some of them kind of fade away and he grows, you know, he's, he's, he starts to grow close with, like, the characters. But in the second episode, all of a sudden he is a faithful, devoted husband who talks about how he would never cheat on his wife. And I think for sure... Ari Emanuel called them and went, hey, assholes, you can portray me as the worst piece of shit in the universe, but you cannot talk about me cheating on my wife on the show, you morons. Because that goes away. Wow. Yes, that completely changed. In the pilot, he's like, see this girl? Yeah, I fucked her like a month ago. And then in the next episode, he's like, I love my wife. I would never (laughs) do anything to hurt my wife. Wow, that's power. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered a little bit of what the show is and why it's not great. Why are you obsessed with it? I have a weird... I have issues finishing things. So I have a hard time finishing scripts that I'm writing. Okay. I have a hard time finishing books that I'm reading. I, with 15, 20 minutes left in a movie, I will get an impulse to stop the movie. Wow. I do not know... I don't, un- this is like the, re- a lot of my things, I'm like, well, it's because of this and this. I do not understand where my fear of finishing things comes from. It's not, like, I'm not scared to die. Yeah, you can't say, did you finish something when you were a child? Yeah, scarred exactly, you? yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but for some, so I will start a television show and have the hardest time finishing it. I bought The Complete Deadwood on DVD. I blew through the first two seasons. I still have not started the third season. Also, a part of that is because it's hard to watch. You watch that much Deadwood in a row, and all of a sudden you're like, my soul cannot take anymore. Yeah. I can't watch any more prostitutes be murdered, and then nothing happened to their murderers. Al gets a little nicer in the third season, which is not believable, but fun. That's the issue, too. Like, that first episode, he's so despicable. Yes. It's the same thing with uh, Veronica Mars. 
when I'm like, I can never, Logan Eccles is so horrifying before they stumble upon him as a possible romantic interest for Veronica. I can never accept him. Yeah. I know that this is not a Veronica Mars obsession, but in that movie, <laughs> Logan Eccles should have ended up being the killer of his ex-girlfriend. I haven't seen it, but I'll trust you. Okay, that would have ended, that would have completed the circle and Veronica would have had to finally accept that this dude is a psychopath. Is this a part of your ending thing that you have, I that you want to leave the options open for how it could end in your mind? And then don't like it when you see it locked down in canon? I do have... I continue to fantasize about characters as if they're real people. (laughs) Like, I constantly think... Did you ever watch Robotech when you were a kid? No, I didn't. I constantly think about what happened with Rick and Lisa's relationship after they board the Super Dimensional Fortress 3 and blast off to go (laughs) communicate with the uh, Robotech masters. And, like, I... That might be... I mean, but that's not... I guess some shows... like. Anyway, the thing with Entourage is I finished Entourage. Okay. I roared through Entourage. And I have watched Entourage all the way through several times since then. Wow. A part of it is it's the perfect show to work out to because you can't really watch something while you work out. You get distracted. Yeah. You're thinking about like reps or you're just – you're like running on a treadmill. Your mind wanders. If you miss 10 minutes of an episode of Entourage, you know what you've missed? Nothing. <laughs> no plot developments have gone by. It is a show where all the conflict starts and is resolved with phone calls. Yeah. Almost exclusively. Ari calls. I don't know. E, e, we don't have the offer. We don't have. I don't know what to tell you. We don't have the offer at the end of the episode. E, I've got James Cameron on the phone. <laughs> every episode. Every problem. That's how they go. So it's just like I'm obsessed with it because it's easy. It's easy. And it is terrible in a bizarre way I haven't seen before, and it ran. It's run for. It ran for so long. Yeah. And now it has a movie coming out, <laughs> a movie that I cannot imagine anyone asked for. I watched the trailer in it. Yeah, <laughs> I was not. Hey, I can't say that I was on board. Uh, my roommate saw an advanced screening of it, and it sounds like it's just a two-hour episode. Yeah, I mean of the show. It looked like that. It almost looked like the actors were saying, "You know what? Well." comedy beat like they could have literally been saying those words because yeah. it was it just it was sort of empty mildly offensive rhythms of comedy oh, and nobody ever advances past the very beginning rhythms of like sitcom okay. kind of performing where they're like i'll do a line like this then the punchline in the opposite <laughs> way and they never move past that uh also the characters are constantly laughing at each other's jokes on the show which makes me bonkers that well, that's the first sincere thing I've heard. Like, that mirrors real life. Oh. Like an entourage would have to laugh at each other's jokes, right? Oh, but the issue with that—that that doesn't work on a TV show. It's the same thing. How I Met Your Mother. I mean, that was different because they had uh, gaps. Yeah. So, like, it was pre-recorded. Like, they didn't tape that live. Yeah. How I Met Your Mother. So they had to leave spaces for the laugh track to go in, so the characters would laugh at each other's jokes. On entourage, they just laugh like. And you, when they're laughing at each other's jokes, you feel like the writers are possessing their bodies. Okay. And they're like, look at how good that joke I just wrote was. Okay, so it, you, when you're watching it, it feels like the writers have assigned the laughter to the character because they can't actually just pop into the frame and laugh at yes. their own joke. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, How I Met Your Mother, I'm obsessed with one pet theory on that. He 
Uh, what's his face? The main guy. Uh, main guy. Ted? Ted. Yeah. Ted killed his wife and then told his children <laughs> a lie because he wanted them to be okay with him getting back together with Robin. That is my theory and it makes the show a lot better. I've watched bits and pieces. I didn't watch the final episode. I know what, what happens that uh, he, he was married and then she died and then yes. he married the other person that yeah, we actually know from the show, right? Well, he's like telling the kids the story and they're like, Dad, s- just go be with Aunt Robin. And I think he told them a lie of a story. Okay. So that they would be okay with him, even though he murdered his wife. So he manipulated his children, his, his dead wife's permission. kids, yeah. to bang their Aunt Robin, yeah. or have a relationship yeah. with their Aunt Robin. To go back with Robin. Yeah. Aww. That's my theory. <laughs> the show's a lot better if you embrace that theory. <laughs> How I manipulated my children <laughs> yeah. into excusing my murder of my yeah. wife. How I murdered your mother. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you have a sort of, a uh, 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 horror fascination. There's this nice familiarity with it. Like it, it is like a light breeze that passes you by on Taraj because you've watched it so many times. Yeah. That, uh, but are there, are there parts of the show that you relate to that you like? Oh God. Um, I, the best season, the second scene is, season is kind of universally regarded as the best season. And that's the season where, Vince books the part of Aquaman in James Cameron's Aquaman. And that season is great because Vince is like an unabashed piece of shit. Okay. Like Mandy Moore plays Aqua Girl and they had a relationship from when she was on a walk in the clouds and it went bad and he was obsessed with her and he's causing all these problems because he is a child. And, and he's the main character, Vince, you're talking about now. Yes. Okay. In a way, he is really the main character, his manager, but Vince is the focal point of the show. Yeah. So everyone is, everything revolves around him. Right. And he is just being the stupidest dude in the universe who has been handled this golden ticket, and he can't handle it because he has to work with his ex-girlfriend. And a part of, I hate him so much in that season. <laughs> I mean, I, you, I always hate him. I think he's maybe television's worst character. But I'm obsessed with him in that season particularly because I also relate to his bald self-destructiveness <laughs> that would be so easy to solve if he would just grow up the smallest amount. Okay. His total self-destructive streak because he's not getting every single thing that he wants is something a part of me is like, I understand that. So are you watching Entourage uh, partially as like a morality tale of what not to do? In your own career in oh, Hollywood? I don't think it has anything to do with Hollywood, that show. Okay. It does not seem... And look, I'm not a, a young movie star. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's noticed who's listening to this. You don't know who I am. <laughs> so I'm obviously not a young movie star. But the, the show just reeks of being full of shit <laughs> about God. what it's like. Like, I just don't believe it. And the arcs Vince goes through... Oh my God, there's a late season arc where he starts... I guess you're to believe that, so he goes through, he becomes a rising star and is in the biggest movie of all time. Also, what's crazy, also the other thing about that second season, Aquaman, it seems like a joke, intentionally by the writers. They're like, why don't we take this dumb superhero who people (laughs) laugh at and put this guy in it and act like it's going to be a huge thing and have it directed by James Cameron (laughs) as if he'd ever lower himself to that. Yeah, and And now it it just seems like absolutely. Well, yeah, it becomes the highest grossing movie of all time and... Now you're like, oh my god, that was Sam Worthington in Avatar, a terrible actor, in the dumbest premise, and a movie that was obviously bad, 
because somehow became the biggest, highest grossing film ever that we all immediately forgot was a thing. Yeah. Instantly. So, like, I, and then it's like his career goes in the toilet, and then he's struggling, and he's broke, and then he rebounds, and somehow becomes critically acclaimed. But then he does a, his own stunt in a movie, and it goes bad, but he survives, and he becomes a... He starts hanging out with Sasha Gray, the porn star, and doing a lot of cocaine. And there are a few seasons in... The, or a few episodes in that late season, when the show rebounds... Because you genuinely think something seriously bad might happen. Okay, so there are actual like consequences. Yes, and it's the second last season, and I knew it wasn't going to happen, but a part of me was really hoping he was going to die because of cocaine. <laughs> and then the last season would be the rest of the cast dealing with the consequences. Like, that's the other thing about the show. There were so many interesting things they could have done with it, and they took the easiest way out it for sounds, seven seasons. It sounds to me like what you want out of a narrative is a totally different show. Well, yes. Yeah. But this is the the third theory about the ending of a show that you have offered in which something should be made more clear about death. Oh, oh well, A. <laughs> death murdered yeah. his wife. The guy, uh, Veronica Mars, should have been the murderer. And and then this Vince should have died of cocaine. Oh well, I I find in the abstract I find death hilarious. <laughs> I'm I think with it's you a there. Very, yeah, it's High very five. Funny, yeah, <laughs> like it's a very funny thing that we all just stop one day. Yes, that is hilarious to me. <laughs> but I guess it's just uh, th- there are just th- I, and of course they're like these light breezy dumb shows. But I still want them to make the hard choices. And also that Veronica Mars movie is awful. Like it's all fan service. Okay. But it's just like on it's entourage becomes this like drama. Yeah. It is no longer a satire or a comedy. It's a drama, a melodrama. And if they want to do that, they should have made some like hard choices instead of it's like Vince is a coke problem and then it gets really bad for him and then the season ends and he goes to jail for coke possession and then he uh Sobers up and he's totally fine. <laughs> and also at the start of the next season, he's drinking a beer, I believe, at a party. And he's like, guys, I'm totally fine. I just had a Coke problem then. I used to like party and hang out. And you're like, this is the people making this show giving me the finger right now. For yeah. ever being invested in anything that has to do with these characters at all. Was it like a 3-2 beer? Like just a real light beer? Because uh, I understand if you're a coke addict, you can still do three two. Yeah, he was drinking, uh, <laughs> yeah, Rolling Rock. <laughs> he he had also gone back college to college. Beer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of the Aquaman film directed by James Cameron, I loved reading about that in Wikipedia today because oh it seemed God. like that. Well, an Aquaman is movie is going to happen, and it's yeah. big business, and everyone's excited, and it absolutely could be directed by James Cameron. Would you go see that? Would you be excited for Aquaman directed by James Cameron? Um, I, oh man, I think, I wish all the time that as a special feature for that show, they had actually made the movies that Vince supposedly starred in. Yeah. Like, one of his projects was, he was played uh, Gatsby in Martin Scorsese's The Great Gatsby. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, that sounds fine. Oh, I mean, he is, uh, like, Leonardo DiCaprio couldn't carry Great Gatsby. Like, no one has the charisma to sort of carry that role of this superficial dude. Yeah. I would want to see that guy flop his way through that movie, for sure. So to answer your question, yeah, in a heartbeat, I would go see James Cameron. Well, here's the thing. Back then, I would have. Now, I don't know, because it would probably just be uh, 
Avatar 2. Yeah. Like, Which you're going to have to see anyway. I, well, it's going to come out. I but, won't. Yeah. 2016 is the first sequel, and I, I won't ever. <laughs> I won't. It was, no. The first one was awful. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I used to do some writing for Rift Tracks, uh, the MST3K new project. Yeah. Um, and I did, I wrote like 10 minutes of the Avatar riff. And thankfully, my 10 minutes were the second 10 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I had this screener copy that they sent me to write from. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, you know, it's the biggest movie ever. I'll watch the rest. And I got through with writing my 10 minutes and just like, nope, <laughs> I can't. So I've never seen the rest of Avatar. Oh, well, I saw it in IMAX 3D. And that was worth it once. It's like a really amazing tech demo I yeah. sat through. <laughs> but I remember watching five minutes of it on HBO and just going, what is this garbage that someone made? This is crap. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the theater just didn't clear out when they said unobtainium oh, yeah. is like, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Oh, unobtainium. Like, yeah, I mean, I would just want to, like, be given a table by the movie theater so I can flip yeah. it over and yeah. walk out. You know what? They, uh, they should have called that movie, uh, This Needs a Second Pass. <laughs> like, that script was filled with TKs. Just somebody being like, yeah, yeah, we'll come up with a better option yeah. later. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and then we'll six months. What, you put the script into production. <laughs> that was an outline. So if Entourage is based on Mark Wahlberg's life, would you want a television show based on your life in Hollywood? Oh, yeah. I used <laughs> to, when I first moved here, I used to think about the idea of doing a movie about, or a TV show about the entertainment industry in Canada, specifically. Oh, wow. Because I lived in Toronto, and that's kind of the second big city. Although apparently it's overtaking Vancouver. I don't know. Vancouver is the big city because they have a different union who lets production companies get away with way more. And like it's there are so few jobs in Canada. Everyone wants them and they're okay. all bad. At you least mean when I was for, there, as a as an actor? As an actor, as a comedian, as a writer. Like these some of these shows you'd get upset because you didn't get it. And then you go, yeah, but I hate that show. <laughs> I'd be ashamed to write for that show. Yeah, and here I am stewing with rage about the fact that I didn't. They didn't even bring me to the second round of consideration with my packet. And so I did think about doing that because I thought people in Canada and it'd be like funny. I was like, eh, people in America will think it funny. Yeah, but now the the last thing I want to see is more show business satire. Yeah, like for if you are a writer, take a year and go do something, and then come back and be like, now I can write about that something I did instead of just like I turned eighteen, I moved to L.A. I went to screenwriting class, and now that's all I know in life. So I write about that, and that's all I can write about. I was really surprised about that when I came here. Uh, like, a couple of weeks after I came here, a, a friend invited me to, like, just kind of a, an aspiring writer's get-together. And it was fun and everything, and I, I chatted with people, and I was like, oh, you're not from here? You can write about other things. Yeah. And it was like they were possessed. Like, well, we've been here for two years, so nothing comes out of my fingers but stories about Los oh, Angeles. Yeah. Like, which I was really surprised by. Like, really? Yeah, and they, they like love jokes about how you can't get a good slice of pizza in Los Angeles. And you're like, oh my god, who ever would want to hear any of this stuff? Yeah, I never get any of that food stuff. Of like, this is a large city. You could probably get many and food that whole, stuffs. Uh, 
my beef with New Yorkers over so much of this stuff they say about food. I when they come here and they're like, you can't get good pizza here. It's like, no, you just can't get the exact same pizza that you have in New York. You know why? Because it's on the other side of the goddamn continent. You can't expect things to be exactly the same thousands of miles away. And why would you want it to be? Yes. Oh man, I can't believe I moved to this different city and it's different than the city I was in. This Starbucks is a slightly different shape inside. Oh, they do different benefits because of state rules this is horse shit so uh, getting back to Entourage uh, another thing that Wikipedia said boldly that (laughs) the main theme of the show is male friendship no no (laughs) no no is that what male friendship looks like again that's the idea of a dude who's so rich he has no real friends right that's his idea of friendship like, they walk around, and they make dumb jokes to each other. But there's no... So there isn't any, like, sort of honest connection. The most believable relationship, maybe, is the relationship that develops between Ari and Eric. Okay. Who's the manager. Because he they start off hating each other, and then, like, Eric starts a company and goes to work at another company and then takes over and has a few more clients, one of which is uh, Master... Played by Master P's son, Little Romeo. Okay. Now just Romeo. And uh, <laughs> much, like, Romeo. much like Little Bow Wow became just Bow Wow, uh, the Lils uh, lost that. <laughs> a lesson to all young rappers. Yes. All If you're a kid and you have Lil, you let that go. But if you're a grown man who goes by Lil, you keep that forever. So Lil Wayne is never going to become, he's not going to put on 40 pounds and be like, I think I'm Wayne now. <laughs> I've grown up. Yeah. I'm Wayne. I'm just Wayne now. Uh, they like develop a weird friendship. But other than that, no. The rest of those, everybody, like, none of those relate. None of the characters are believable, so it's impossible to believe that they would then have believable friendships. And you can also tell that the show gets worse as it goes on because it gets more and more nudity. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. so yeah, just... To where by the end there's, like, boobs everywhere. Whereas in the beginning it'd just be, like, hot women in the back and foreground all the time. Now it's just, like, straight-up tits out okay. all over the place. Yeah. So, like, Vince is, like, talking on the phone while a lady has sex with him. And you're like, no one would put up with that. Yeah. Like, who would debase themselves? Like, yeah, they're at, like, a jewelry store, and uh, drama's like, oh, what's up? And then they're having sex <laughs> later, and you're like, what? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> that would be a deterrent. If she, him, meeting that guy would make someone less likely to have sex with him, as opposed to make her willing within 20 minutes to do it yeah but that's good casting that's stunt casting because playing the role of vince's half brother is who is based on mark Wahlberg's brother donnie Wahlberg, is played by matt dillon's brother kevin dillon (laughs) so that's that's again in the beginning it was very clever how they did that and i uh i'm obsessed with the show 24 in the same sort of like Mm -hmm. there are a lot of good things there are a lot of really bad things but for some reason i just compulsively rewatch it and my Uh wife likes it too and that so that's all i can think of when i see that guy is he's in season two of 24 oh really uh matt dylan's brother what's his first name kevin kevin dylan he's in the subplot of in in season two of 24 there is a subplot for a half of the day that someone is going to attack kim uh jack bauer's daughter yeah uh and he is in a scene where uh he he fakes her out that a nuke has actually gone off in Los Angeles, so she can live with him forever in his survival bunker. 
What? <laughs> it is just the creepiest thing ever. Like that show, people had spoke so fondly of it when it was underrated, or like like its ratings were low. Yeah. And now I look back on it, and I'm like, it was just the dumbest show on television <laughs> after the first. If I through the first half of the first season, I remember it being the most compelling television show I'd ever seen. Twenty four episodes is too much. After that twelfth hour, you're kind of like. I don't know. I'm burned out, and I just don't believe this. Yeah, I have certain things. I, I just did a, a couple podcasts where I talked about defending the Star Wars prequels, and I wonder if you have the same thing with Entourage. I have this thing where there are shows that I get attached to knowing that there are a few things I like, but there are overall many negative things. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I attach to them, and I become sort of fascinated with not only the good things, but sort of... Uh, watching the train wreck again and thinking about like how did that happen? How could it have been corrected? Do you find that when you rewatch Entourage, where you're thinking about like, oh I, yeah, I'm like like I was saying, I, Vince deserved to die. He should have died. <laughs> he should have died. Done too much blow and driven <laughs> off of the edge of Mulholland in one of his cars. <laughs> and then the seventh season is all about them trying to recover and Ari's agency lost one of its biggest clients, and that would have been so compelling. But instead, they were like, eh, yeah, he did too much blow and then bothered Minka Kelly at her birthday party and Eminem punched him in the face. And then uh, now he's sober and he's totally fine. <laughs> so that was his... I swear to God. That was his road to redemption is being I punched by Eminem? swear <laughs> to God. Yeah, at a party, like the, he's like moves into the W because his friends are like, hey, don't do so much coke. Also, they have um, an intervention and it's literally just all the other lead characters on the show. Like, they... They did such a bad job of world building. He has no one in his life outside of the three members of his entourage and his agent. I love that is a barometer of like, did I hit rock bottom? Did yeah. Eminem punch me? Like yeah. Eminem is sort of like this drug fairy yeah. who pops up. And yeah. like, Are you in rural Wisconsin having a drinking problem? Not if Eminem hasn't punched you in the face yet. Yo, Minka, is this guy bothering you? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was in, uh, you know, I was in Iowa, and Minka Kelly was at the bar, and I was bothering bothering her, and Eminem punched me, and then I was like, I gotta get help, you know. I sexually harassed Minka Kelly, and then Eminem punched me. <laughs> That's the number one sign of anything. Also, I'll defend the first Star Wars. I think the Phantom Menace is a lot better than people give it credit for. The Jar Jar Binks stuff is awful. Absolutely. But when people talk about the Senate hearings and all the trade talk, that kind of stuff is in Star Wars. There are lots of meetings of people planning strategy and talking about information. That was not so crazy to me. The unbelievably racist (laughs) aliens are for sure the big flaw. When the big hit hook-nosed Jew in the desert says, mind tricks don't work on me, only money. Yeah, Watto the Toydarian. That is very racist. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel so sorry for George Lucas because I think he he was thinking, I'm calling back on these cereals from the 1930s and 40s that I loved. And like, well, yes, George, but those were based on horrible racist stereotypes. And you just updated them for a new generation. Yeah, and the only... And it added Jamaicans with Jar Jar oh. Binks. And the only actor able to deliver... Like, Liam Neeson does the best job of any of the actors in any of those prequels. Yeah, I, I think Ewan McGregor kills it, too. I kind of like him in the third one, because it's interesting to see Obi-Wan as, like, a fun uncle. Yeah. And then he's ruined by having his protege go crazy. Yeah. But uh, he's that first one, I think, is real bad. <laughs> yeah. Also... In the second one, that whole big chase scene on the space where he's like hanging on 
yeah. to the one speeder and he's saying things like, I hate when he does that. That scene has no stakes, no drama, and no immediacy. <laughs> I, I'm not, you're not going to get any argument yeah. from me. I mean, All like... of those actors are sleeping with their eyes open. <laughs> their eyes, in fact, might be added in post. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were actually sleeping. Yes, we'll wake them up in post, said George Lucas. <laughs> we can give eyes. Faster and more intense. We can put eyes on them in post. And mullets and beards, <laughs> everything in post. Um, do you think Entourage would be better or worse if the main character was played by Martin Freeman? Oh, but who are we saying is the main character? Uh, I was thinking Vince, the pivotal character. Okay, worse. Because also in a weird way, Vince works great. Um, Adrian Grenier is great as Vince in the beginning. Because you don't, he's just a movie star, so he doesn't have to be good. Like, Channing Tatum is like, <laughs> but it's true. Look at how much credit people give Channing Tatum, because in some movies he shows real human emotion yeah. as an actor. He's still awful in a lot of movies. If he's just in a dumb action movie, he's brutal. People thought he sucked for a reason. But people will be like, Channing Tatum's amazing because he's good in Steven Soderbergh movies. And yeah, he's like funny in comedy, but he's he's funny and, and good in movies where everyone is good. Okay. So you can work with him. Mark Wahlberg's the same way. Sam Worthington cannot be worked with. That guy's a block of wood. <laughs> but this thing where later on they start talking about how Vince is a great actor. and Oh my God, he thought you were brilliant in this role. And you're like, bullshit. So does the show want... The audience to believe that Vince actually did a good job? I don't think it does in the beginning, but again, I think it loses focus on what the show is, and it starts to go, yes, the audience will be- believe that this guy's great. So they show him in like a dramatic movie about uh, firemen who jump out of helicopters, and his line delivery in those scenes, you're like, this is the worst dog shit I've ever seen in my Do you life. think the actor playing Vince was trying to do dog shit is parody? No. I think he sucks, because he's bad in everything he's in. (laughs) Okay, so you think that Martin Freeman would ruin Entourage by making it good? Yeah, because he has on-screen charisma. (laughs) That would be a disaster. But, also, he just doesn't fit in that role. But if E was Martin Freeman, I believe that would be great and unbelievable, because there'd also be all these unanswered questions about why this young Hollywood hotshot was best friends with a short British dude <laughs> who was middle-aged. And more charismatic than him. And yes. It, yes. Oh, those Hobbit movies just waste Martin. For, like, it's a shame he's stuck in those, like, bloated disasters. Yeah. Because he's great as Bilbo Baggins. I have not seen any of those movies uh, because I just couldn't deal with the concept of a... a nine-hour Hobbit film? Yes, a film experience that takes longer than it would take to read, <laughs> the, read book the book. is not cool. It's a children's book, for <laughs> God's sake. Yeah, Peter Jackson has gone mad with power. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty. That's a pretty fascinating thing when just people have no boundaries in the shit they do without I boundaries. I don't like the extended versions of The Lord of the Rings, even. Like... Yeah. Fans of the books like them because they remind them of the books. Right. But they're worse movies. Oh, yeah. I know people who complain because fucking uh, Tom Bombadil isn't in the movies. And you're like, that is the worst character in literature, Tom Bombadil. He is certainly, uh, he doesn't really find his place in the rest of the Lord of the Rings canon. He is an all-powerful, like, omniscient being. And then it's almost as if J.R. Tolkien didn't want to have to waste the paper that he had written about him on. So then he has to be like, well, he can't throw the ring in the volcano because he's a big flake. 
Like, that's why Tom Bombadil can't take the ring to Mordor, because he... Gee, a little flaky. Just loses focus on things too easily. He just end up uh, rescuing some bunnies with the ring or something. Yeah, he is a fascinating character. And about the fifth time he's been brought up on this podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> uh-huh. Is it Which always is awesome. negatively? No. Some oh. people have defended uh, Tom Bombadil. Or I, I have a friend who did a Tolkien episode, and, and okay. he was he had some theories about Tom Bombadil. But yeah, I mean, anything that gets like so bloated is a film that, you know, I, I, I appreciate more and more the ability to tell... An elegant story. Like, The Avengers does not need to be two hours and 15 minutes long. That one, I... Okay, so here, it it, it depends on where your nerdery lies, probably. But for me, like, yeah, I'm happy for a long Avengers. Oh, what? But there's too long! (laughs) And you know what's gonna happen! What do you like? I hope the Avengers survive and save Earth. Especially now that we have the slate of films. Well, that I'm worried about. But for me, that's like... So I saw that trailer for Age of Ultron, and I was like, oh, man, I'm actually kind of excited for this. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get too grim, but I like, you know, there have been some good Ultron stories, and I like the yeah. idea that it's going to be their own doing that gives them problems. And then you see this, so there's like two more Avengers movies, and all the other Avengers have movies planned, and you're like, well, I know, like, <laughs> what am I worried about? Well, what I like is I, I like seeing and i think the public's going to turn on it i like seeing (laughs) the characters be so established that the movies are like comic books because when you read a comic book it's not for the fun of is thor gonna live or die these characters are are fairly constant and they have certain challenges so i like I we I went to see the second Thor movie with my wife on our anniversary, and we when we left, I was like, "That was great because the stakes weren't really high. It was just <laughs> Thor dicking around like he would in in a comic oh. book." And like I know that that's not that's not the way things are done in movies. It's always <laughs> life or death, high stakes. But I kind of like like eh, it kicked the ball down the field a little bit. But otherwise, just Thor like I should hit that with my hammer now. Cool. Well, that's why I bowed out on like superhero on like Marvel and DC because. I don't like the fact, and I I understand now, those characters are like jazz standards. So it's not about, you know the song. Yeah. But it's what it, so what's the guy's take going to be on it? Yeah. So I'll read Grant Morrison, do X-Men. Even though I know somewhere down, with enough time, everything he does, no matter how interesting, will be undone. Yeah. And, but that, I it just frustrates me. That's why I like, like, Invincible or Image stuff. It's one creator, it's their baby, and the things that happen will be permanent. Yeah. Unless I got back into superhero comics with Civil War, and that's the last thing Mark Miller ever wrote that I liked. And But I loved that arc. I loved what happened afterwards. And I you're lo- not excited to just see that on the screen? I'm curious about that. <laughs> that seems like an expensive movie to make. You said curious almost in a sexual way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For me, sometimes it is a little bit like that. But that, but that's why the Winter Soldier was good because it had stakes and it changed yes. the status quo. But Steve, it seems like the Avengers. What are they going to destroy New York again? Like, mm, oh. maybe they'll just be honest and it'll be Cleveland this time. Yeah, <laughs> we're shooting there. Uh, and uh, also, I'm looking forward to Planet Hulk. Would be of all those things, I think Guardians of the Galaxy doing Planet Hulk would be really interesting. That would be really cool. Yeah, because I want to watch the Hulk be more of a bad guy. That for me is the other thing. I. My theory in this movie, the Hulk might go too crazy, and this might be the movie where they shoot him into space. 
Yeah. Because they just can't deal with them anymore. And then the Guardians of the Galaxy have to deal with the Hulk out in space. Well, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, that I would look forward to. But I don't know. He's going to go bad, and they're going to fight Iron Man, and then he's going to save the day again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do totally understand that, and I think the public will probably turn on that. But for me, there's still that sort of like, I don't mind the Avengers being two hours and 15 minutes, because I still kind of can't believe that not only am I getting to see this on screen, <laughs> but other people like it too. Also, at some point, I'd love for them to finish this generation because they'll have to like have i think to. uh yeah. robert downey jr's even said he's like i got one or two more movies in me yeah and then he signed on for more than he originally claimed he was going to oh, you know really? in this latest reveal he signed on for more and then yeah i mean you have to move on you yeah. you can't you can't keep this going so it's like wrap it up and then find a bunch of new characters and then restart with that but i don't want them to just be pushing this forever although the flip side of that is oh my god these amazing spider-man movies these are awful. These are garbage. <laughs> and the fact that the first Amazing Spider-Man did not just start with Spider-Man swinging webs, stopping a crime, and then it like freeze frames on him, and you just hear Andrew Garfield's voiceover go, I'm Spider-Man. You know how I became Spider-Man. <laughs> Let's move on. Right. And then they tell a story we have not already heard. Yeah. That would have been the perfect way to do it. Yeah. All, it's like, no one needs to see Batman become Batman again, too. Like, if that's in the Justice League prequel movie thing, whatever the, that piece of shit's going to be. Oh, well, they, they've they already confirmed that they that we will have the delight of seeing the Wayne shot again. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Even after the supercut. Shut your disgusting <laughs> mouth. I wish I could. I'm going to knock your teeth out in a second. It, that, that, that movie, the Dawn v. Justice. No, Superman v. Batman. Yeah, it's Dawn not v. Justice. I, like, a, I would prefer it yes. if it was like, can justice handle when the sun comes up? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a better movie. But it, no, it, it's it's going to be like a fan fiction retelling of The Dark Knight. And when Returns they... by Frank Miller. When they read that quote about Batman beating up Superman, it's like, uh, that quote only works because it happens in a book where there is decades of established history between these two dudes. And it's Batman beating up... It's a fascist beating up a worse fascist. Yes. Like, that, that book, it's like... Batman being like, you sold us out, and I want you, like, but what is, in the new movie, it's going to be like, some asshole beating up some guy who means well, and being like, yeah, you remember it while I choke you to death, you loser. Yeah, and then they're just going to have some insincere discussion about whether or not you should kill people, and they're going to be grim, and they're going to cry in the rain, and yeah, I mean, I think that the the slate of superhero movies, like, uh, I, I love everything that Marvel has done, I think Marvel's going to stumble a little bit, it's just going to happen. Oh, they got to drop hard. They're going to have like a Pixar thing happen, where they yeah. don't bomb but we just get tired they regress a little bit right or somebody's just gonna like hate ant-man like it's cars oh, too well ant-man for does existing ant-man does look like the one like this trailer where it looks very serious and you're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i'm not i'm not on board with a serious <laughs> ant-man movie at all <laughs> well yeah i think they're gonna walk that line and it should be interesting to see um i have one more uh entourage question for okay. you if you were offered a role in the Entourage movie, would you take it? Yes. Of course. <laughs> what are you, nuts? Would you ask me to delete this podcast from the internet? No. <laughs> I want both of those things to exist so that people can understand the difficulties of making art. <laughs> the sacrifices yes, that actors make. Yes, the complexity make. <laughs> that is being an artist. 
Okay, so if you could you could sum up why you're obsessed with Entourage. I think Entourage is a singularly unique television show in the way it was understood by the people making it progress. Like the progression of their own understanding of their product and how they seem to completely lose their way. I don't know any other shows where if you watch, other than Lost maybe, yeah, if you watched the pilot and the last episode, you would go, those were not <laughs> the same television shows. Okay. And even Lost, like, Lost, it's, it's a drama the whole way through. Entourage starts as a light showbiz satire and ends as this bizarre, romantic, Los Angeles-based melodrama where you're like, who is, who is Sloane? Why is their relationship supposed to be so important to me? They don't really <laughs> seem like they have any chemistry. The last season, Eric fucks Sloane's former stepmom and then lies to her about it and that's how the show ends <laughs> with him getting away with that uh, that is the story like if i was doug ellen's wife and i saw that i would be like how many women have you cheated on me with yeah and why do you think it's so cool yes oh yeah. so f- yeah. oh my god oh show yeah. biz oh my god uh so i normally ask people questions to uh, kind of determine their obsession level mm-hmm. and it's just sort of there's no right or wrong answers it's just sort of a litmus test to sure. compare uh but this is the first time i've had somebody who kind of hate obsesses yes <laughs> so i tweak the questions a little bit all right uh do you think about entourage every day uh only because the movie right now because the movie's coming out and I'm jealous that my roommate saw it, so it makes it even worse in a sneak screening. But I, yeah, right now, yes. When the show ended, I couldn't believe it. And I will still watch episodes. Like if yeah. I'm staying at a house, like I house sit sometimes, and if they have HBO, I will go back and watch episodes I remember liking. Okay. But yeah, right now, for sure. Awesome. Uh, do you identify people based on what character they resemble from Entourage? That would be the cruelest thing I could ever <laughs> do to a human being. <laughs> so, that, so, that, so have you in Los Angeles encountered somebody and go, well, that person really is like Turtle? No. <laughs> no. People aren't like the people on Entourage. One time I saw them, I saw there was like this ridiculous Ferrari. And I was like, oh, God, look at that thing driving down. It's like driving down Melrose during rush hour. I'm like, uh-huh. what idiot? It's like, why don't I take this high-performance sports car so I can start and stop and go four miles an hour? <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, what is that truck in front of it with the back door open? And I was like, oh, my God, that car is hooked up to that truck. Oh, my God, they're filming that car. Oh, my God, the guy driving that car is wearing a, like, very expensive blue suit. And so I'm weaving in and out of traffic to get by this thing. And I get by, and I see it as Jeremy Piven. And I laugh so loud, everyone looks at me. Because they were shooting Entourage. Yes, and I just laughed because I was like, I I did it. I finally did it. I also saw Kevin Connolly driving a car. While being filmed. So that was your goal in Los Angeles? Yeah, I got to see see Ari driving a car while being filmed and get Jeremy Piven to look at me because I laughed so hard and so loudly (laughs) at that stupid show. Have you found that shot in the show? That was for the movie. That was after the show was done. So if we see Jeremy Piven driving down Melrose and he turns, it's because he's looking at Will Weldon. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if they left that take in for some reason... I'm sure they did. <laughs> Could you hold an entire conversation using only quotes or references from Entourage? Yes. <laughs> uh, would you hate watch Entourage with Hitler? Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm worried he would. Uh, no, no, because I wouldn't. I'm worried we'd have a lot to talk about it together. Like okay. I wouldn't want to bond with Hitler over. Like anything. if Hitler was super into entourage. No, like, I think. Yeah, Hi- good show. No, I think Hitler would be like, "Was is das? Like, <laughs> this is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> this is not good. So, this is not as bad as what I did, but it's not good." So it would make you feel bad because Hitler would recognize that this is a horrible show on a level that you can't yeah, quite we'd accept. Like, yeah, we'd like probably like crack jokes about it together. <laughs> so you and Hitler would riff on yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, if you had to watch one single episode of Entourage on repeat, how long would it take you to go mad? I would never go mad. <laughs> Wait, and so am I just sitting there? You're watch- just sitting there watching one single episode. Like, like, um, like Clockwork Orange style, yeah. strapped down? Oh, Oh, and it's not okay. So, which which episode are we talking here? Let's say you could pick your favorite. Um, I'm gonna say 25 minutes, <laughs> the length of the one episode. So if it came on immediately, yes. As soon be, as it was over, I'd be like, "Oh, I'm crazy now." You, you yeah. just start cutting your cheeks like the joke. Yeah. All right. I never tell you how I got these scars. <laughs> I watched these emotional scars. <laughs> uh, would you swear at a nun over Entourage? What do you mean? Like, would I get like, into such a heated discussion with a yeah, nun about the Yeah, if a show? nun came up to you, yeah. And Look, said, it's not going to take a lot for me to get to uh, get me to curse at a nun. <laughs> so I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> that, that, that one's not a problem yeah. at all. Awesome. Excuse me, do you have the God, do you uh, know where goddamn Third Street is? <laughs> Jesus Christ, thank you so much. I thought this episode of Entourage was quite, fuck you. <laughs> uh, would you get an anti-Entourage tattoo? Please don't tempt me. Please don't tempt me. Do you me have other this. tattoos? I just have one. Uh, I have this is the worst. Uh, I have the logo for secular humanism on my arm. <laughs> well, that's a. I can't. I'm not against secular I, humanism. But I have a joke in my act about how I'm like, yeah, I got this tattoo. It's the logo for atheism, and I'm an atheist. So I got the tattoo because I wanted people to know that I'm not fun to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, what would what would an anti entourage tattoo be? Um, an anti entourage. I mean, you could just get the words "yeah, yeah" tattooed on your body, and that would just be for people who get it, like the theme song, the awful um, oh God, Jane's Addiction song. Do you oh, know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know that song. Um, or you could get Johnny Drama's car with an X through it, which is the car from the beginning. You could get fuck Aquaman. <laughs> I think that one might be misinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, or you like Vince is not brilliant. Uh, release Smoke Jumpers, which is a movie he starts shooting, but they pull the budget for in the middle of it, okay. and that almost ruins his career because the director. Oh no! You, I get Werner was right because Werner is a director who hates Vince and doesn't want him in the movie but is forced to use him and keeps cutting his lines. I get Werner was right. Oh, that's that's a great tattoo because it, it makes people ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you're thankfully, an atheist and you agree with Werner? Yeah, thankfully there are no high-ranking Nazis named Werner as far as I know. It does sound like a Hogan's Heroes character. <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't remember Werner. Uh, would you actively protest Entourage? In what way? Like would you join a million-person march against Entourage. No, but I would protest Doug Ellen making another television show. <laughs> awesome. If you couldn't watch Entourage without someone you love first being punched in the crotch, would you still watch Entourage? No. <laughs> no. 
Excellent. Uh, I ask people to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Sometimes it's easy, like if they like a band or that, but Entourage, what is the noise you would make to sum up your obsession with Entourage? <laughs> the shrug is important to include too because a lot of people will be like what you like entourage and i have to be like eh. yeah because you don't like entourage you're you're fascinated by but it. i but that is also like hate watching is still because there's lots of stuff that's bad and i don't watch where it's like dull like i tried to watch jack ryan shadow recruit last night and I was yeah like, oh this is just not a this is unwatchable because it's I, boring. Yeah, I just can't sit through this. Yeah. I mean, there are, especially as it goes on, there are huge chunks of episodes. Like, now when I rewatch it, I'll skip whole episodes. They go and do mushrooms in the desert when Vince is trying to figure out if he should take this bad yeah. movie project. I don't even, I don't, my two least favorite kinds of humor, entourage humor and drug humor, <laughs> merged together. I'm not sitting through that. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, it's still, like, huge swaths of it are very watchable. Because you're just like, what? Sloan is back again? <laughs> so but it, so it is hate-watching. Yes, yes. But hate-watching is real, but I hate that, I hate that term because it's not just because it's bad. There's something that I still, I still like it. There's a, something about it I still enjoy. Right. On a certain level. So you're maybe watching it like... A, a parent would watch a child that they're not proud of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're, yeah, they exactly know it's potential. like that. <laughs> and they're hoping You've done for it. <laughs> you found the perfect analogy. Either that or a shrug. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, and, it, and the other thing is it's hyper safe. I'm not scared of being challenged. Okay. I'm never like, oh my God, that episode really made me think about a lot of things. Never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever has that happened at once. Excellent. So your shrug noise is pretty awesome. Can you make it again? It's like resignation. Like, I understand why you feel... I understand the tone in your voice, but I can't change who I am. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel about Except it. Except me as I am. Look, like, we all got crazy th- things <laughs> that we do, you know? Yeah. What do you know? I could be... Uh, peeping through somebody's window right now okay so just let me have this i'm just peeping on drudge yeah awesome uh so i have final questions that uh, aren't involved with the obsession uh if you could invent a new form of greeting to replace the handshake what would it be um invent it can't already exist oh you can modify something I, a part of me would want mandatory hugging because I have a hard time showing intimacy with people that I care about <laughs> and it would be, I think it would help me to be forced to do it. To just have that be the standard greeting. Yes. I have to hug someone. I think that that closeness would open me up and help me with life a lot. That's awesome. a very selfish invented greeting. Well, I mean, it's, uh, a hug in general is not a selfish thing. Oh, well, yeah, but some people don't want to Some hug. people don't want the hug. That's yeah. fine. A hug can be an invasive thing, but yeah. not a selfish thing. The flip side is I'd want to go the other way and just the nod up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I either want to go in one direction or the other. Right, so people yeah. with neck injuries just cannot be greeted. Yeah, look, everybody's, somebody's going to be unhappy, <laughs> no matter what my choice is. Yeah, it's not the perfect greeting. It's just what you'd like. <laughs> I, I admit uh, th- that's one stereotype of Los Angeles that I was surprised to see was true. The sort of disagreement about whether one should hug or handshake. 
Oh, really? Yeah, like in the Midwest, it was sort of like, oh, if you know each other well, we hug. But other, other than that, it's probably a handshake. And I find that in Los Angeles, it is constant greeting and departure stress of, is there anything? Is it, like, I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, I've always been bad with greetings and goodbyes anyway. Yeah. Uh, for me, I noticed the wandering eye thing. You're talking to somebody and they're always looking somewhere else. That happens <laughs> so much. Like not during greetings, but just in general. Yeah, like in conversations. Just that general feeling like there might be something better over your shoulder. Yeah, and I do it. And it's like, I'm, I'm not even looking for something better. Now it's almost like I'm scared that I'm going to get punched or... For looking too directly at another human being. Yeah, I'm, I'm so brimming with terror. I'm just worried there's going to be someone in the room waiting to hit me. Like it, the last episode of The Sopranos is just going to go black in the middle of a journey song. That that's a rational fear. Um, if you could build anything out of Legos and it would come to life, what would you build? Out of Legos, yeah. So it has the durability of a Lego mm-hmm. creation. Probably uh, like a scooter, like a Vespa, because you're not safe on those things anyway. <laughs> so look, you get hit on a Vespa, you get hit on a Lego Vespa. Other either way, you're in a lot of trouble. Right. Yeah. You wipe out on one of those, and it's dangerous no matter what. And with the Lego Vespa, you could just put it back together yourself. Exactly. I'm going with the thing that has, where the, I'm neutralizing the danger aspect of having it made out of Legos (laughs) by embracing something that's already already dangerous dangerous. anyway. (laughs) And it would look pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Like, I think you would get a lot of cool looks if you were stuck in traffic on Melrose. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Lego Vespa. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and the final question for everyone on the podcast is what is happiness oh no (laughs) an increasingly common reaction to that question yeah i don't know a new brain (laughs) like (laughs) a totally new outlook on life so being a different human being is happiness i think happiness would be being able to just accept everything. You know Mike Kaplan? No, I don't. He's a comedian. Oh, yeah. I, well, I know him as a comedian. Yeah. I don't know him personally. He, uh, I had a conversation. He's super funny. Yeah, and I had a conversation with him, and he's a very cerebral person. A guy who's almost his entire act is puns and wordplay is going to be cerebral. And then also really cleverly making fun of his own puns, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like an Andy Kindler level of deconstruction. Yeah. He was talking about when he was young, and he had just sort of started making a little money doing comedy. And he was talking about how he's like, he was like, I don't believe anything can make you happy. You're happy or you're not. Like, and I was happy. I was working at a coffee shop, but I was also doing comedy and people liked it. And I was getting laughs, so that was nice. And I was making a little bit of extra money doing colleges and stuff. But I was also working at this coffee shop, which was fine. It gave me time to write. Sometimes it was slow. I could sit and write. And I don't feel entitled to make a living doing comedy. I'm not owed that by anyone. So I could be happy with that. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to be happy. <laughs> so that's what you that's what you took from his yes. nice. Is happiness is just accepting where you're at. And I'm sure people who are happy still go through like bad spurts, but it's people who are never like I need this thing then I'll be happy. I need this thing then I'll be happy. They're like I'm happy now and all these other things would be really nice and would make me happier maybe, but I'm happy right now just with where I am. That happiness is just being happy with what's happening. That it's is not looking awesome. for anything more. I'm never going to be happy. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs>
being where you're at. We'll see. No, I understand. <laughs> it's an awesome. It's an awesome point. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you end the podcast with a uh, with one more shrug noise because your shrug noise is making me really happy. Well, can I say I <laughs> have a live? Sh- my friend and I host a live show and a podcast together, and it is called UGG exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> U-G-H, exclamation mark. Uh, and you, do you feel like that's sort of like the noise that makes sense to you? Yes. I'm constantly like, oh, like, oh, come on. Like, to me, that is a form of happiness to me because it is a form of being uh, honest with yourself in the moment oh. and accepting the reality of what you feel. And people accuse me of being critical all the time, and it only bothers me because they say it like it's a bad thing. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I'm critical. I'm a comedian. I am a critic by nature of my act and my being. And I love people be like, why can't you just enjoy things? And it's like, I can be critical of something I really liked. Yeah. Like, I, I can still want things to be better or still, like, I enjoy that part of life. And, like, picking at things and finding flaws and being like, well, maybe this would have made more sense. That, to me, is a lot of the joy of art is experiencing it and enjoying it. And then after it's done, being like, yeah, but what if this? And they could have done this. And what if they'd had these other things? Would have made it even better? And because, like, if people if people say, you suck, I'm never wild about that. <laughs> but if people have legitimate criticisms of things I say or make... I'm always like, oh my god, that's so interesting. I should try to like incorporate that the next time I do something yeah. so that it'll be a better, more realized thing of what I'm doing. I think that's the worst thing about art is that artists believe they are entitled to not be criticized. Yeah, well, I love the perspective of being critical in the right sort of way is incredibly positive because it's uh, uh, an opportunity to look at things in a different way and an opportunity to make something better. Yeah, and it means that people were impacted by what you did enough that they kept thinking about it after it was over. Yeah. In a way where they were like, they thought about it and analyzed it critically in their brain and then took the effort to give that to you. That seems like you've like connected with people and you should be happy about that. Yeah. But uh, the noise, what was it? It was a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That is our podcast. <laughs> You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.